Hi, this is Day for Night with Caridad Spitch, a series that looks at the intersection between theater of poetry and the edgelands in the wilderness. So uh, last time uh, I read here um, was in episode four, and um, I've been reading from the collection Signal Fires, uh, which I'm not a part of, but uh, I uh, deeply love and uh, uh, happy to be a conduit for its words by different writers. Um, and uh, I left off on, it's a, I'll describe it, it's a series of six notebooks uh, published by Fuel uh, English Touring Theater, Guayai, and Headlong Theater Companies in the UK. And the, the series of notebooks, the six of them, under the umbrella title, Signal Fires, is edited by Maddie Costa. Um, and so I've read from the first four notebooks, and so there's two more, uh, which I'll read from today. Um, the first notebook is called, uh, sorry, the fifth notebook is called Flame. And uh, it's mostly visual. So, so what I'll do is just read a very short selection from uh, notebook five and then launch into notebook six. This is from notebook five, Flame. And this is a piece called How to Start a Fire by Rowan Evans. How to Start a Fire. A list of rituals that involve light. A list of what has happened. An archway and an eye. Say I can make two flames where there was one. We wanted a scrap heap, but could only find a candle. That's enough, someone said, to bring the eyes and words into orbit, to, mark, to make a mark on the retina. Look, the flame divides. And then from notebook six, which is entitled Embers, appropriately enough, um, also starts with the poem called How to Start a Fire. Uh, and this is from uh, Rosiana. I hope I'm saying that. Maybe it's Rosanna. Uh, Rosanna Diaz. And I'll launch into a couple of other selections from this uh, notebook. But the first one, How to Start a Fire by Rosanna Diaz. What happens when we start a fire? We gift another crackling signal to follow along this trail. We sense through tingling blood, there's more outside the glow. This darker path is calling to us to slow down, to turn up our chins and know there are only clouds between us and our dreams. And in the cracks of the quietness, we hear the whispers of new ways of being. This is from uh, Luke Barnes, the writer. Uh, it's called The Ghost Caller. And it starts with a stage direction. The voice doesn't belong to a gender or an age. It's disguised thickly. And the ghost speaks. Hello. Thanks for listening. 
Take a moment to make yourself comfortable. If you can, close your eyes. You're thinking you're not quite sure what this is. You're thinking you'll be told when you can speak. You're thinking you thought that this was going to be a ghost story. Breathe. It's okay. This isn't scary. I'm not here to hurt you. You're thinking you have a choice now to play the game or to take the piss. You're thinking you're going to give it a go. You're thinking it's a long time since you sat in this amount of silence. You're thinking you should make more time for it, but life is hectic. You're thinking you can't sit still. You're thinking that now you're going to try and sit still and think of nothing. You need this time. You don't get it that often. You're thinking that now you're going to count to 10 in the next silence. You're thinking that maybe this will stop you being so distracted. You start. You're thinking about the ghost stories, you know. You're thinking about times and places you felt the hair stand up on your arms. Stop. I'm not asking you to think about that. I'm asking you to think about your ghost. The person you want to call, but you can't because they're not here. But I am. I am your mom. I am your dad. I am your grandparents, your brother, your sister. I am your friend. I am that person from school you didn't know that well. I died of cancer. I jumped off a bridge. I was in a car crash. I was murdered by a man in a pub who punched me once. I was old. I died in my sleep. I lay in a hospital bed with my family and friends, and they held my hand as I drifted off, and they sat around me because they couldn't leave me. I died alone because everyone stopped thinking about me. You know me. Hello, I know you. You don't believe me, but I do. You can see me if you think about it. You can feel my skin and see my face. You can smell me. You've probably forgotten my voice and that's okay. Think about that. I want you to know that when you die, how you made people feel is all that survives you. I want you to know, I remember it all. I remember your eyes most clearly, and in watching you, they haven't changed. I remember what you said to me, and it stayed with me until the moment I died. I remember everything, and it only means something when you see it all together. Do you remember how I made you feel? I want you to know that I think of the good times, not the bad. I want you to know that the bad times are what we needed for the good ones to work. I want you to know I would do it all again, but better. I want you to know that I would draw it out if I could. I want you to know that I remember your smile. I want you to know that I wish I had more time. Every time you think you saw me, it was me trying to get you to notice. That is all I've been doing. 
When you smell that smell and I rush to your mind, it's because I have been blowing it towards you, desperate for you to notice me. When that song comes into your head, it's me sitting next to you and humming it into your ear, hoping you'll think of me. Can you hear it now in your head? Think about it. I watched you thinking about me. I have seen you cry. Forgive your friends for not feeling death like you do. They don't understand, but you don't understand the death in their lives. Stop wondering if you could have done something different. Stop asking yourself whether my death was a fair or unfair. Stop thinking whether it's right that I'm dead and that the world carries on. Stop wishing we could have spent more time together. This is not living. I know you think this is a game, but I'm trying to speak to you. I want you to see that death is real. I am real. That's all we need to deal with. Deal with us. Think about me and you. Breathe with me. I am with you. Take me seriously because one day you will die and you will want someone to listen to you. You are more vulnerable than you know. The world is so much bigger than you. There is so much more than phones, dramas, screens, waistlines, hair, what other people think about you. They are not important, no matter how serious you tell yourself they are. I want you to feel me. I am watching you. I am actually here. It's okay in the end. And the sooner you know that, the better. The ending is death. And before that, there is only this. There is only ever the choice you make now. I need you to look at my death and live properly. Think. Think about how I thrived and how I failed. Think of all the best things about me. Think of all the worst. Think of how I would have lived if I hadn't died. Think of what I would have done if I hadn't died. Think about yourself. Think of how much of your time is left. Think of what you need to do, not in the mundane. Bigger. Think that. By knowing my death, your life is full of possibilities. Think about what's standing in between you and the boundless potential of your existence. Think of living and what that means. What are you going to do? This is what haunting means. It's not the scares in the night. It's me begging you to live because I am dead. You have a better idea of what it is to be alive. I will always be here. You will notice me when I show myself to you. When you think you see me or feel me or smell me, you will know that's me telling you to live. I am here now. I want you to thrive. I want you to be everything you need in your life. I know it's hard right now. I can see that. But I need to know you're listening. If you forgive me for dying, the way to prove it is by living. You have to live because I can't. Starting now.
you need to tell me anything. And that's by Luke Barnes. Uh, and I think I'll uh, round out um, this episode with um, a piece by Stephanie Street. It's quite a beautiful piece, uh, actually. And it's called Dear Unknown Friend. Dear Friend, before this moment, of course, we weren't friends. You were just a dear unknown. But this pact, my words, landing in your hands like this, taking shape in your mouth, means we must be. So, friend, I do wish I could see you as you read this. See what those words do, these words do, to the contours of your face. How the shadows pass across your room. Feel the shifting in the air around you. In this year of extreme loss, I find myself in mourning for all the things that bind us as an intricate map of humanity rather than a collection of discrete bodies, sinews of trust built over a meal with friends, the electrical exchange and the accidental brush of hand against hand, the ache carried by familiar scent on a passing stranger. I miss them all. I miss the perfume of jasmine flower, sweet and aggressively musky at once. For me, it is the smell of my mother. When I was a child, almost every weekend, my vast Indian family seemed to be invited to a wedding, all of us, numbering anywhere up to 20, under the matriarchal leadership of my nanima. For my family, this was always a great excuse to dress up and get out. I didn't like the dressing up so much. I wasn't that kind of a kid. But I loved seeing my mother transform from the tired, grouchy doctor she was for most of the week, much of the week. I would watch transfixed as she crayoned coal onto her eyelids, smudged vermilion on her lips and cheeks, took out her everyday earrings so she could clip in dangly 24-carat chandeliers. It was a sacred transformation. The coup de théâtre would come when Umi took out her little bottle of red nail polish and dotted a small circle on her forehead. Yes, nail varnish, it lasted longer than bindi powder, she said. At the age of 77, she still has a little burn spot right between her eyebrows. With her face complete, Umi would take a crunchy red poly bag out of the fridge from which tumbled loops of jasmine flowers strung together on thick cotton thread. Sat at her dresser, she would pin the flowers into my hardly combed hair before coiling them into her curls. That smell carried over continents, decades, across death on it. On the other side of the world, 30-ish years on, with only pixels and technology to connect us, I yearned to really feel my umi. The smell of jasmine, or of chicken curry made as she taught me, can carry me to her. Sometimes in the morning quiet, if I'm lucky, I can catch the cadence of her voice on the air, but the ache is extreme. I lost my father to COVID in March 2020. Government restrictions forbade me from seeing him. He died not having seen any of his family in over 10 days, alone, in a hospital room. 
They told us he was holding the hand of a nurse when he went. I hope that was the truth. I'm starting to understand how grief moves, how it can sweep down and consume without warning, shaking your insides out. I look at the sepia photo sitting by my bed taken in Singapore, 1981, of a handsome man with a handlebar mustache holding my four-year-old self in one arm like a kind of shirt-wearing Tarzan, and I cannot comprehend the lack of him. Where is he now? I want to tell him I have finally learned to parallel park. I want to sit and watch the cricket with him. I want us to listen to jazz together. As I lie with my own two children every night as they fall asleep, it's undeniable to me the necessity of human contact. Just after being born, each one was immediately placed on my bare chest. A physiological necessity, the midwife said. The skin to skin stabilizes the baby's heart and breath. It spins threads of oxytocin out of mother and baby that weave themselves into the unbreakable web of attachment that cradles us through the loudest toddler tantrums and teenage rebellions. That touch is the physical bedrock for unconditional love. In fact, and many people think I'm crazy for this, I adored birthing my children. In the final stage of labor, the baby passes the cervix out of the womb, making their way down into the wide world for their first breath of air. During that phase, if you're lucky, you can feel this new life moving its way through you. That physical oneness I experienced birthing each of my children was for me the very closest I have got to ecstasy. How do we live without contact? I think it is an impossibility. How do we touch one another across glass partitions, standing two meters apart, masked and gloved? I have only one offer to steal us against the darkening nights, and it is this. When you fold this letter away, when the vibrations of the words have died down, please take a moment before you go back to your emails or to washing the dishes. Let in this new world quietness, freed from the roar of planes and inner city bustle. See if you can hear the small sounds, the hidden music, the screech of the fox, the crackle of the candle, the inside whisper of your grandfather singing. Give yourself to the eyes of your loved ones. Take a moment in this pretty, flickering light to really look. Share with them your love, your longing, your sadness. Breathe in the smell of their hair, of the food that is perhaps cooking on a stove, or a stick of incense burning somewhere. This, your home, your family, is your superpower. I wish you all much love and health and strength for tomorrow. Stephanie. That was Dear Unknown Friend by Stephanie Street. And that concludes uh, today's episode. As always, this is about you and I in this theater. You're there in the dark, and I here wondering who you are. Thanks for listening today for night.